Hey everyone, I'm Julie Gunlock, host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. So today I'm going to be talking to my friend Erica Anderson. Erica is a freelance writer, podcaster, author, and a mom of two living in she's living with her husband and her two kids in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, Erica is also a contributor to the Independent Women's Network. Her writing over there is fabulous. Check it out at iwnetwork.com. Uh, Erica has many hats, as I've, I've already said. Uh, she writes about faith, culture, motherhood, politics, and the intersection of all of those issues. Her articles appear in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post. She's also a columnist for World Magazine Opinion, and she's a freelance contributor to Christianity Today. She also has her own podcast as well uh, called Worth Your Time. That's another great podcast for you all to listen to. And she's the author of the book, Leaving Cloud Nine, the true story of a life resurrected from the ashes of poverty, trauma, and mental illness. She has another book coming out this year. We'll talk about that. So Erica, thanks for joining me. Thank you for that very large introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very impressive. Very impressive. And um, and it's always great to talk to you, Erica. You've been with sort of the IW family for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, as I mentioned, you're, you're working or, or contributing over at IWN. So we appreciate that. You know, I always try to, or love to talk to my guests. I mean, I, I love to get into their stories, but the first thing I like to do is I like to ask my guests a little bit about their parenting style. Mm. And this, this, this podcast is all about like, you don't actually have to have a style. Okay. <laughs> you, can, you can just sort of be winging it every single day, which I, I feel that's a little bit of what I do, but is there a parenting uh person that you follow a style or someone you really look to that inspires you? Oh, goodness. Um, there's probably a lot of random people. I think someone that I've been really looking to lately is I am going to not remember her full name. It is like her name is Becky and she's a, you may follow her like Becky at the good mom or something like that. I think I know it. Yes. She has a huge account. Um, oh wait, I just saw Dr. Becky at good inside. Yeah. That's who okay. she is. Okay. Um, I really just love her practical advice in dealing with like behavioral issues and just things that every parent, um, deals with on a regular basis. She's very relatable. So I do follow her. Um, and then I also follow people like mama bear apologetics, which is yeah. more about, you know, teaching your kids to be grounded in faith and making sure that they are learning how to think and not just what to think and sort of those aspects of parenting. Oh, that's great. That's great. And faith is so important to parenting. You write a lot about that. And I want to, you know, get to that um, in a bit, but tell us at first, and I think this is a good way to segue into that about your first book, which was so inspiring. Tell, Tell the audience about that. Sure. Yeah. Um, it was an amazing experience to be able to write it. Um, all, lots of credit goes to people other than me, including God and my husband, because the book is really a story of my husband's life growing up in trauma and abuse and poverty and sort of how he overcame that and had this redemption story 
um, becoming an adult, coming to Christ um, through our family. Um, really beautiful story in the end that we were able to write and tell and publish um, in a way that was really able to connect with so many people that related to his story. So, so yeah, so we wrote that book and we were able to publish it and get it out there. And it's led to, it, it really is what launched me into a lot of the writing I've been doing since then. Um, there were a lot of topics that I hadn't really explored, but as I dug into the research about childhood poverty, about um, the, the foundation of the family, about how important mentorship is, about things like the opioid crisis, it really branched out into so many different um, aspects of life that I just got very interested in writing about them. And I, I thought, hey, I'm going to go out there and try to make it happen. And I've been able to, to do that and write and research about topics that I think are really important um, to be talking about more. So you've got a second book coming out. Is this a, a sequel? Is it a follow-on? Is it How does it relate to the first book, or is it on a completely different subject? Well, it is faith-based, so it's related in that way, but it is a really different audience. So this book is called Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women. So the target audience is obviously women. And essentially, I'm just speaking to an audience of women who maybe grew up in church, maybe grew up as uh, Christians or call themselves Christians today, but they've really lost sight of their faith. They feel like they've fallen away maybe. Um, and they want to get, have a stronger relationship with God again. They want to get their kids back in church. They want to make faith a core component of their family, but they're sort of feeling lost and feel like they need some guidance and instruction. And so I just am there to say, here's how I've done it. Here's how you can do it. Um, and here's how you can overcome some of the barriers that are keeping you from having this holistic faith life that you really envision for yourself and your family. So your your book is geared towards women who maybe had faith and have fallen away or things have just gotten too crazy, but they have this sort of desire to go back. How do you reach out to people who maybe didn't grow up in a faithful family or don't really see faith as an important component of parenting? How do you convince? Because look, we've got a lot of people on this podcast. This is not a religious podcast. This is not mm -hmm. a real, I, I actually rarely talk about the role of faith in parenting, which is a oversight because for me, it's an important aspect. And that's why I wanted to have you on and I'm going to be having other guests on, but you know, there's an awful lot of people here listening who maybe faith isn't really a part of their family. Why is it a an important part. And again, this is bespoke parenting. We're not lecturing anybody, mm -hmm. but I'd like to hear why faith has been an important component to your sort of parenting. I hate the word eh, parenting journey. I hate all that, <laughs> I hate all that talk. I sound like Oprah. It's gross. But, um, but, but why has it been important to you and why might it be something for people who ha don't necessarily have a history in the church or with a church um, to maybe consider it? Sure. Yeah. Well, for me, it, you know, obviously, personally, it stems back to my own personal relationship with God and that being a very important factor in my life. But what really convinced me, honestly, to get more invested in this and to begin uh, in really incorporating it as a core part of my parenting is research and statistics, as boring as that sounds. Um, but as as I started to do research and see that people of faith, specifically those who attend church regularly, it's very interesting that um, the statistics always skew positive towards people that actually go to a place of worship on the regular. And that can be a church or it could be a mosque. It could be a temple. Um, it's really not the religion that matters. It is the um, the consistency of gathering in a faith community. Now, of course, most Americans generally fall into the Christian bucket. So it is a church for the most part. 
Um, and so as I started to see, hey, people that go to church are happier. People that go to church have less anxiety. They have better marriages. They have healthier bodies. It's really like this almost like magic elixir to um, mm. improve your life. And I mean, I, you know, I'm putting that very simply. That's a reductive way to say it. Um, but that's that's one reason. That's one reason to consider getting in there. But secondly, when it comes to children, studies show that children are um, less anxious. Um, they are happier as adults. And, and similar kinds of statistics when they grow up believing in God and they grow up having a faith community around them. It provides a solid foundation. And also what you'll find for families that are part of a church is that children tend to have a really great set of adults, solid adults around them. And so that safety net, that network of people, what did they say? Uh, like that social capital that's yeah. so important for people if, for their success in life, that is expanded and improved when you're part of a faith community. And so outside of the fact that I want people to have a stronger relationship with God, because that of course also improves your life. Um, there are so many other reasons as well to consider why you might be invested. Um, and I talked to a, a guy the other day that I'm friends with and he actually, I was actually kind of surprised, but he told me that he actually is an atheist but that he and his wife take their daughter to church because they believe so much in, in the benefits of the faith community and they want their daughter to grow up in that. You know, it's so interesting that you say that my father was not religious. Um, my mother, we were raised Catholic and my mother was, you know, cradled, cradle Catholic. Um, obviously I am too, but she grew up in this big um, Catholic family, but my father was not religious at all. Did not identify, did not belong to a church and, but he would, he agreed with my mother. He wanted us to go to church because even though he wasn't particularly um, interested in it, you know, in, in attending church, he knew it was good and he knew it was good for him growing up right as a child, mm -hmm. like he wanted us to make that decision later on, but he wanted us to have the understanding and sort of the upbringing um, with the church. And so it's very interesting how my father had a very similar kind of experience, but he recognized that that is an important component of a child's upbringing. And you, know, you could also joke around and say, just never got in my mom's way, but he really, <laughs> he really did view that as, as an important, as an important element. Were your husband and you on the same page as far as this, as far as raising kids and attending church and being part of a church community? Yeah. And I was just going to make one note. Um, I would point people to the work of Erica Komisar. Um, she is a research, um, I think, believe she's a psychoanalyst, but she has done, um, she wrote this great piece in the Wall Street Journal a couple of years ago where she basically said, I tell parents that don't believe in God to lie to their kids. Yes. <laughs> because yes. I, I think I quote that in my book because she said, if you just look at kids that are, you know, told that, like God doesn't exist versus kids that are told there is, you know, faith, there is something to believe in, like their mental health is better. And so she's yes. like, I'd rather you lie to them <laughs> because, yes. um, you know, of course I don't think it's a lie, but I thought that was super fascinating information. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. So for my husband and I, yeah, we both find that to be a really important part of our family. We want our kids to grow up with a great foundation, um, you know, for that community aspect, for those mental health benefits, but also because we really believe in this faith. We believe it's true. And for me, um, you know, I grew up in the church and I credit my mom so much with being so consistent. Um, it has been the foundation of my life everywhere I've gone. I move somewhere. I go somewhere new. The first thing I do is try to find a church knowing that I'm going to have um, fellow believers there and, and people that I can trust. But um, as a mom, 
you know, I just kind of thought, well, I'm going to do it just like my mom did. I'm going to take us to church. You know, no big deal. It'll be fine. Well, it turns out we're living in a little bit of a different world than we were in the 80s, as I'm sure you've noticed. Yes. Um, and it's not quite as easy to just assume that your kids are going to go to church and turn out okay and yada, yada. Um, there's a lot more ideas oh, yeah. out there um, that are being planted in their heads. There's a lot more doubt out there. The, the internet has like really transformed things because, you know, things that were like once obscure academic theories and things are like now blasted to them on TikTok. Um, And so they're asking questions. They don't realize the questions have been asked for a long time. And people are not grounded in the truth and the foundations of their faith. And so I think for children, they need to know that stuff before they go out into the big bad world till they go to college and someone's like, hey, and ask them a question they've never heard before. So it's really important to me to ground my kids in the theological um, truth of our faith and um, just to know why we believe what we believe instead of just telling them like, hey, this is what we believe. Because okay. I want them to know how to think. I want them to be able to ask questions and discover the truth for themselves. And that goes not only for faith, but for literally everything. I want them to know those things. Um, wow. So that is how I approach it. It's such a good point, Erica. And you know, it's funny. I hear uh, from a lot of parents who now who say, you know, I raised my child to, you know, be a conservative, like we were a conservative family and I don't know what happened. They go off to college and they just, they come home liberal. And mm-hmm. I do wonder sometimes how much people are actually talking to their kids. You mentioned the, not just, this is what we believe, but this is why. And I sometimes think that second part is missing because I feel like when we sit around the dinner table and I'm sure you, you are like, oh, your kids are a little, they're much younger than mine, but at, at certainly I have one preteen and two teens. And at this point, we aren't just talking about why we believe as, as they watch the news, right? Um, you know, for instance, Governor Yunkin here in Virginia just passed this new rule, which would basically ensure that parents are aware of any attempts at gender transition or gender confusion um, with their kids. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as it is now, um, and, and, and this only happened like the last six months of the North and North of administration, who was the Democrat in charge of Virginia before Yunkin took over and the North administration's last six months shoved through all these incredibly radical gender ideas in our schools. And one of the, the rules that they policies that they changed was basically kids can have secrets from their parents. They can tell their teachers and school administrators, for instance, that they want to transition, the school can help that child along and the parents will never know. Mm. And, you know, you know, it's sort of, we Crazy. can joke at this point, we can, in, you know, insert the, what could possibly go wrong, right? <laughs> so, so Yunkin has reversed that. And, you know, there's a lot of confusion out there, but we didn't just tell our children about it. And really, this was only my older child who asked because I try to keep some of this stuff from my children. They're in a Catholic school. They're protected from all this totally wacky gender stuff. But I talked to my older son and I didn't just tell him this is the rule and this is why it's good. Um, or this is the rule and, and hooray. I told him why it is good, why parents need to know of these things. And I've talked to him about the statistics on these things and really dug into it. So he has a full picture. And to some degree, I don't think I don't p- think parents do that as much. And it's not just on political issues, but as you say, on religious issues. This is why we are faithful people. This is what our church believes. This is why. And so I think first, I think conservative parents, you know, I think there are many of them like us, like you and me who talk to our children, but you really have to talk to your children in a, I think in a much more aggressive way now because of like what you mentioned, all the influences out there. And so if you don't give them a full explanation or really discuss these things, their knowledge and probably confidence in this stuff is very shallow. 
And yeah. End it. Yeah. I think sometimes we kind of forget, like, you know, we kind of talk around our kids. They're there. They're like, oh, they're not listening or they're not paying attention, especially when they're little, mine are four and six. Yeah. Um, but I have been very aware of, you know, these these topics in culture. And I have been, you know, very straightforward and not really my four year old so much yet. But yeah. my six year old and I have talked about a lot of things that I never expected to be talking right. to a six year old about because. I, I had been, I was listening to the Mama Bear Apologetics podcast one day and basically whoever their guest was, was like, it's really never too young right at this point, because if they're in, especially in the, they're in public school. And so that night I just decided to ask my son a couple of questions about a couple of things. And it turned out he had heard of something mm. that I didn't realize. And so then we ha- were able to have that conversation. Well, what do you think that means? And, you know, here's why we believe what we believe and things like that. And so I'm trying to be very conscious of having those conversations and also not just like big conversations. You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the, you know, one minute conversation, like just yes. always talking about it and bringing it up on a regular basis, um, you know, at dinner or when you're walking. I do this with faith and with other things like I'm always trying to, you know, I'll pray out loud, for example, or I will just mention like, hey, isn't that a beautiful sunset that God yeah. made us? You know, in the same way that, you know, if an, if an issue comes up or like something on a TV show, like I'll just maybe make a comment about it or say it. I'm not saving up like the saving up the big talk days. Those are over, I think. Yeah. You know, Erica, I know you have a hard stop here in about 10 minutes and and I do as well. So I want to I want to pivot over. And I honestly, I would love for you to come back and talk more about this. Maybe when your book comes out, we can delve into that. But I do want to also talk about something that I think is really important for parents to hear. And maybe, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll even come back to talk further about this one. You have been very upfront about your struggles as mom um, and, and your struggles with alcohol um, and, and as using alcohol sometimes as a sort of stress release and mm-hmm. other things. Um, but y- you really had quite a battle. I wish you could, uh, if you could delve a little bit into that and tell us, you know, how faith also helped you sort of recover from, from the alcohol abuse that you were, you were struggling with? Sure. Yeah. I mean, alcohol was always something that was sort of an unhealthy, um, what is the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say addiction necessarily, but it habit. was, it was a ha- an unhealthy habit. I had an unhealthy relationship with this substance. I used yep. it in ways that it shouldn't be used basically most of my adult life. And I, as you become an adult and especially as you become a mom, I mean, that's normal. Like yeah. no one would have told you that I had a problem. Like I would even try to say I had one and like, well, I have it's, it's not even, a, it's not even just normal. It's encouraged. Right. Mommy, it's encouraged. Ma- ma- I mean, the term mommy happy, our mommy's sippy cup, like you yeah. get all this. Yeah. So go yeah. On. And so it was, um, I would constantly be going, well, this is fine. Like, look at this commercial or look at this reel or TikTok or whatever. Yeah. You know, it, it's constantly out there being normalized. And so I thought, well, I am normal. I don't have a problem. And I would even say to a friend, like, maybe I have a problem. And they would be like, no, you don't. You're fine. Because it wasn't disrupting my life. Like, I was perfectly fine, had a profession, yada, yada. But it was a, like a huge mental struggle for me and it was, and it made me depressed. And yet I kept running back to it as like this numbing mechanism, especially in the evenings when you're dealing with crazy children, um, when you're trying to cook dinner and all the things and you're just like, oh, if I could just, you know, have this. Um, and that's not always bad. I'm not saying it's bad for any, you know, to have a glass of wine, not saying that. Right. But for me, it always went too far or I felt like it would take me to a dark place. And so I finally got to the point where I was like, 
this is, I don't need to live like this. And so I just, I got what they call sober curious and I didn't stop drinking, but I just started looking into it and like kind of investigating. And uh, I read a book called this naked mind and it really, really was life changing um, and brought me into a community of people um, that, you know, wasn't AA, which I felt there was like no way I was going to go there. Cause I was like, I don't, that's way too intimidating. Right. Um, but it brought me into a group of people that, you know, have been there that are there. And ultimately I'm actually about to celebrate two years. So, um, uh, two years of not drinking. That's so, two years. Yeah. Which is shocking. I would have told you that would never happen. And I, you know, of course I still struggle, um, with thinking, you know, Oh, it'd be nice. Um, but I'm really to the point now where I can look back and see like that was not contributing in any positive way to my life. Yeah. Um, and I think for us in our home too, we really don't have alcohol in our home. Um, and that to me is really good because I have alcoholism all through my family. So does my husband. So it's in the genes. Um, and, and the most that I can do to keep that away from my kids and keep them from seeing us drink all the time. Um, I think that's going to go a long way for them so, as well. So let me ask you about, you know, in I, re, I remember reading one of your blog posts when you had decided and, and you to like, this is it. And, and, and you had like a, an actual moment where you're like, I'm done. And it was overdoing it with a group of girlfriends the night before, you know, you'd had mm-hmm. too much wine or something. And you were like, the next day you said like, I got rid of all the bottles and I cleaned out all the alcohol and I was done. Mm-hmm. What does that do socially? You're, you're in the thick of mommy world with a <laughs> two, and, two and six year old. I mean, that is like, right. That you're in the weeds mm-hmm. and there is a culture of like, you deserve this. You, this is what makes you relax. This is like, you work so hard with your kids and then finally they go to bed. This is your time. And you know, you get invited to like the neighborhood, the happy hours, blah, blah, blah. You get it. What's it done to your social life? Because that is a, that is an important thing. Uh, 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 A mommy social life's important. What's it done (laughs) for? Well, I'll tell you when I first started thinking about quitting, like that was like terrifying to me. I was like, well, I can't just say I'm not drinking. Like people think I have a problem. And, you know, I was very worried about all the social situations. And I, you know, this was before I really was talking publicly about it. Um, but slowly but surely, as I began to be a little bit more open about what was going on, starting with my um, Bible study from church and then with friends and then other people from church, yada, yada, um, it began to be more public. And as I would just go to events and things like, yes, it was hard, like a concert, whatever, um, I would like kind of feel uncomfortable. But honestly, the discomfort would only last like 10, 15 minutes. And then it kind of just wasn't there anymore. And right. I could just relax. It was sort of just getting past that first, you know, apprehension, which is funny, there. which is funny, because honestly, you go to a party stone cold sober, you feel the same way. It's, right. just, that, it's just that you usually like immediately go to the bar. And, and that that's almost like, okay, you can calm down now, which you calm down eventually anyway, right? right. Just like you say, you just so, have to, yeah. It's so funny because I find that, you know, many times people use alcohol thinking they quote need it, but really um, it's, it's like other, it's like other things that are happening that are actually doing the thing that they think alcohol is doing. Like I went to a concert and I said, I wasn't drinking. I was like, this is so weird. I feel drunk. And then it just kind of dawned on me. I was like, no, you don't. You just feel like you're at a concert. Like this- you're having fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're just having fun. It's, it's, it's a weird mental thing. And so nowadays I really don't have much of a problem. I mean, sometimes I, you know, will cr- like, I like the taste of some alcohol, you know, like I miss certain things. 
Um, but for the most part, I really don't feel uncomfortable. I have no problem telling people I don't drink at all. Like it's yeah. not uncomfortable for me. Um, and honestly, no one really pays that much attention. And they yeah. say, if someone really cares, they probably have a problem. Yes. So, so I find yeah. that it hasn't been a huge issue for me. Well, I would love to explore this more with you and have you to come back on and especially talk about your new book when it comes out. Yeah. And I'm really, I, I love following you. I think you have a great story. I think you're very inspirational for other parents out there. And, um, and again, I, I look forward to continuing these conversations and, and and checking out your podcast. Tell us a little bit where oh, people sure. can find your writing and your podcast. Yeah, my podcast is called Worth Your Time. You can find it on iTunes. So just Worth Your Time with Erica Anderson. I talk to lots of Christian women, leaders, authors, all the things. It's got like four years of archives. So you can definitely binge. <laughs> um, and you can find my work at ericaanderson.com. I also am a writing coach if anybody's looking for that. So <laughs> hit me up. <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. And of course, she's over at iwnetwork.com. Uh, Go over there and get your membership and, and check out her really inspiring writing um, and, and, and also just fun musings on parenting. So thanks again for coming on, Erica. Thank you, Julie.